And I'm Ian Silver. Join us on the road to paradise. Hello and welcome to the Orthodox Logos. My name is Ian Silver. I'm here with my co-host Nathaniel Harmon. Greetings. And today we are going to be talking about freedom. But before we dive into that, we wanted to remind people that today... Saturday, the twenty. What is it? The twenty. The twenty sixth. Twenty sixth of February is the Saturday of Souls, as we are closely approaching Great Lent, and I think that this is a a great time to remember that we need to pray for those that we've lost, uh, both Christian and and non Christian, and I'm sure this is my first year as an Orthodox Christian and my first time. You know, partaking in a lot of these things, especially Great Lent. So, Nathan, if you have anything that you want to touch on as far as Saturday of Souls, it's it's important for us to remember those who have reposed either in Christ or outside of the Church. Especially today, um, lest we forget, tomorrow is also the Sunday of the Last Judgment, and one day whether Christ returns before some of us repose or not, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that point, we can no longer pray for ourselves. So we expect others to pray for us and to intercede for us when we're reposed. So it behooves us to show love to those who have reposed, even if we're not, they're not people we're particularly fond of, to pray for them and show love to our enemies in that regard. Um, if you find this to be strange, look up the um, hagiographies of St. Gregory the Diologist. He has some interesting legends surrounding um, interceding, especially for reposed pagans. <clears throat> and also look up the life of St. Macarius the Great, specifically his interaction with the uh, with the reposed pagan priest. Yeah, the story I think you've shared to me is... Is this the St. Gregory going to the graveyard? Which one was that where he kept praying so for the dead? Saint, what saint was that? St. Gregory... The Okay, so there's actually a story. I, it actually might be Father Alexander Schmemann that shared this story. But there's a story of a monk... Or not a monk, a priest who was a very, very bad priest. Um, not in the sense that he was going around philandering or anything like that. But he, he was very bad at his job. He was um, not faithful and in performing the services well. Um, he wasn't faithful in his attentiveness to his flock. He often showed up wasted to um, to serve the divine liturgy, and he just was generally a priest that most of us would uh, have a pretty hard time with if we had a priest like that. And so eventually complaints of his, um, of his parishioners make it to his bishop, and his bishop goes, okay, well, you know, I've I've known this monk, or I've known this priest for a while, so I will come see if these rumors are true. So he shows up to a liturgy one day, and the priest is late. When he walks in, he is obviously quite wasted, and the bishop defrocks him and kicks him out of the priesthood right then and there, because he's so upset, rightfully so. And the next night, the the bishop. It has a rather horrific dream 
where he's surrounded by a large crowd of people all pretty upset, wondering why he defrocked this priest and why he has abused this priest so. And the bishop is rather concerned by this dream. So he goes and talks to the priest and he says, hey, um, you've like, this is what happened. Or he doesn't even say this is what happened. He says, you know, have, have you ever done anything good as a priest? And he says, well, you know, I know I'm t a terrible priest. I show up drunk to serve the liturgy. I don't really take care of my parishioners. I'm just not good at my job. But he shows up. But because I'm so bad at my job, um, I really want God to have mercy upon me. So I go and uh, I walk through the graveyard every night and pray for those that I see, pray for those people whose names I see written on the gravestones. And it was revealed to the bishop that the crowd that was accosting him in his dream were the souls of those for whom this priest was praying. And he reinstated the priest. Wow. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's, uh, with orthodoxy, it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories, especially in uh, the pro prologue of Ord. Mm -hmm. I believe that's how you say it. I can't read Romanian to save my life, so I have no idea. But yeah, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's interesting stories in there of, people being beheaded and then picking up their heads and walking away with them. And you know who that is? St. Dionysius, the Areopagite. Yeah. He's, he's one of the most famous ones that happened to. And, you, and know, you know where he takes his head? He takes it to his church and puts his head on the altar. And there's a lot of people that, you know, have I've talked to about that. And, you know, they'll ask me, is this true? And I'm in no place to, to give, you know to give that answer. I mean, I, I believe it's true, but also I think, I think more so it, there's a, a deeper meaning, deeper meaning to it. And also in the day and age that we live in now, miracles are harder and harder to come by, or maybe they're just not on such a, such a grand scale. If that makes sense, you know, things like that, I don't feel like would happen. A lot of grace has, has left us as, as a nation, as a, as a society. Well, before we lament the lack of miracles, let us remember that every liturgy served is the, 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 the blood and flesh of Christ are served to us. Yeah, that's a miracle. That's for sure. quite a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Lest, lest we forget, that is, that is the greatest miracle of all. You know, someone picking up their head and carrying it to church is normal by comparison. Yeah. So... Tomorrow is uh, the Sunday of Meat Fair of the Last Judgment, and the gospel reading will be from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. It's the parable of the Last Judgment, and I have a short reading on it that I wanted to do real quick, and it reminds us that while trusting in Christ's love and mercy, we must not forget his righteous judgment when he comes again in glory. If our hearts remain hardened and unrepentant, we should not expect the Lord to overlook our transgressions simply because he is a good and loving God. Although he does not desire the death of a sinner, he also expects us to turn from our wickedness and live. This same idea is expressed in the prayer read by the priest after the penitent has confessed his or her sins. And it says in parentheses, that's a, you know, a Slavic, more so of a Slavic <clears throat> practice, but the time for repentance and forgiveness is now in the present life. As Nathan said, you know, there will be a time where we can we can no longer pray for our own souls or we won't have the opportunity to repent or 
confess. At the second coming, of Christ, second coming, Christ will appear as the righteous judge who will render to every man according to his deeds. Then the time for entreating God's mercy and forgiveness will have passed. As Father Alexander Schmemann reminds us in his book, Great Lent, and this is from chapter one, sin is the absence of love. It is separation and isolation. When Christ comes to judge the world, his criterion for judgment will be love. Christian love entails seeing Christ and other people, our family, our friends, and everyone else we may encounter in our lives. We shall be judged on whether we have loved or not loved our neighbor. We show Christian love when we feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit those who are sick or in prison. If we did such things for the least of Christ's brethren, then we also did them for Christ. Matthew 25, verse 40. If we did not do such things for the least of the brethren, neither did we do them for Christ. Matthew 25, verse 45. So I think that's a good reminder as we approach Lent. Do you have anything to say about that, Nathan? Well, since my my role in this podcast seems to be to tell stories, um, I will will speak of of a story of mercy. And this is known to be true. <clears throat> so if you're a history buff um, and you have studied World War I at all, you'll know of a fellow named Ernst Younger. And he was a German officer. In, uh, he was a German infantry officer in World War I. And he wrote a, several books, but one of the most interesting ones, in my opinion, is called Storm of Steel. And in that, he recounts most of his infantry career. And there's a battle that he leads a platoon of stormtroopers in. And at some point, you know, in the, in the lead up to the battle, I forget which one it is. There are so many horrific battles in that war. He, his, his unit was shelled really, really badly, and a couple of his friends got killed. And so when it came time for them to advance, he was... He and his entire unit were a little bit on the hacked off side and looking for blood, which, you know, if any of us were in that situation, we would be too, you know. And he kind of gets separated from his guys because there's a lot of smoke, a lot of gas. It's, you know, hard to see what's going on in a, in a battle that large. And he, in the process of advancing, he sees, um, he sees another man. And he realizes pretty quickly it's a British officer. And so... Him being out for blood, he pulls out his pistol and is going to get his pound of proverbial flesh. And the British officer doesn't see him initially. But as I believe it was Lieutenant Younger at the time approaches, the British officer sees him. And Ernst spoke English, French, and German. And I think he might have spoken Russian as well. He was a very, very smart guy. But he, he doesn't say anything to the officer and the officer doesn't say anything back to him. But the officer looks at him, and the officer's wounded, too. And so the officer doesn't say anything to him, but he opens his jacket, takes out a picture, and gives it to Ernst Younger. And he looks at it, and it's a picture of this guy's wife and kids. And he gives it back to the officer and then turns around and walks away. <laughs> and, you know, we tend to look at that kind of stuff and go, oh, wow, isn't that, isn't that neat? Isn't that laudable? Yeah, that makes for a great Hollywood movie, doesn't it? It makes for a great Hollywood movie, but the impact is so much greater because 
consider what he actually did. His friends got killed. That British officer might have been someone who got one of his friends killed. And he showed mercy to an enemy. Like, you know, especially in the West, we don't like thinking of um, our enemies in war as being men, as being other men that are just like us. Well, yeah, I was, it was, I heard a story recently from a veteran who said, you know, he killed X amount of people and it really hit him when he realized they were people, when he realized that they were people too. And it took a few for him to realize, cause he was just so programmed, you know, this is your job. This is what you're here to do. But, well, but he realized pretty mm-hmm. quickly, especially when he returned home and he, you know, was back to normal life, mm-hmm. quote unquote, he would see people and he would see people with their family and be like, I took someone just like that. Well, there's, there's a very famous story about Vietnam actually. Um, where this, uh, I forget, I've forgotten much, or I've forgotten many of the details, but what ends up happening is this guy, this, this American infantryman, you know, he's, he's fighting in Vietnam and he comes across a, um, a Vietnamese, a North Vietnamese soldier and he describes their interaction like he was like you know i was pretty he's like i thought in retrospect i realized in retrospect that this guy i mean he's like this kid he goes he was probably younger than i was like he probably wasn't going to shoot me in retrospect he realizes this but he goes i did because he's like he's a He's an enemy. He's going to kill me. Like, if I don't kill him, he's going to kill somebody that I'm supposed to be protecting or that's that I'm what supposed he's, to be serving that's with. That's what he's trained to do. Well, it's yeah. not even what he's trained to do. It's like, you know, if, if I don't do this, what if he kills someone else, you know? And uh, in the process, in, after he's done that, you know, he's looking over the guy's body to see if he has any documentation or maps or anything that'll be useful. And he finds a picture of a young woman. And 30 some odd years later, he still has this photo and he goes to the Vietnam Memorial and he writes a letter to this guy begging for his forgiveness that he killed him. It's like, and I, you know, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but it's like, you know, since we've been talking about the Saturday of souls and the last judgment and forgiveness and, you know, we know to, to see a life taken or to take a life is an awful thing, but we focus far too much on the person who's been killed, I think. And we don't give enough thought to the person who did the killing because that doesn't leave you unscarred. And the person that you killed is now subject to the grace of God and the mercy of God, which, as we know, he is more than willing to give. But if you kill someone when you're 19... You have to be willing war. to repent. And you have to live maybe a, yeah. 80 more years of repentance carrying that. Well, and it may have been a just killing, but you still have to carry that. And that's that's not good, man. I mean, you you talked about the, the whole notion of um, uh, people not recognizing what they're doing until later. You know, and you and I have also talked about my previous employment history. Yeah, and some um, of the things I've seen growing up. Right. Like, and I forget if I've told you this or not, but um, my other friend David, he and I have talked before because you know, he was a paramedic, I was an EMT, so naturally we became friends over that because, you know, same stuff. 
but we, uh, he and I did a tabulation one time and we figured that between the two of us, and he's obviously got the slightly high, the higher numbers because he was working in Phoenix, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's more a lot on. of fun, a lot of interesting things happening in Phoenix. So he's obviously had a lot more, but between the two of us in 10 years, we had seen something like 1300 fatalities or run 1300 codes or something like that. I forget between the, between the two of us. And also between the two of us, we maybe remember nine or 10 of them names or just remember, like can pick them out from the morass of stuff. Yeah. Which is when you realize that that's a pretty crazy thing because it's like this, this should never have been such a mechanical thing that I can know the number, but only remember two or three people. <clears throat> yeah. And I guess hopefully, you know, when you're lighting a candle, you're remembering the ones that I remember, yeah. the ones you can, you know, that you can remember. Yeah. So it's definitely a very deep time in the church. You know, we had Vespers tonight there, there was the usual people there and, uh, you know, God, God bless us with a, f- a few extra people that we don't normally get to see, but it felt, it definitely felt a little bit more somber, you know? And I know that my, my wife has, has lost a lot of people close to her in this last, last year, year or so. So it's definitely probably something weighing, you know, on her, conscience. On her as well. Yeah. yeah. It's something I think about too. It's, it's kind of hard cause I think I, I'm thinking of it more than I'm thinking of the people I've lost, you know, and I'm praying for the people she's lost more than I'm praying for the ones I've lost. And it's, it's kind of been a weird, weird for me, if that makes sense. Well, it's maybe I'm just trying to add extra, extra prayers. If Mm -hmm. you know, if that's, if that's a way to put it, you know, putting more energy into the ones who have been lost recently, not as if there, there's any difference. Don't worry, guys. It's going to get a lot better. It, it doesn't hurt. It's not going to be, it's it not going to be dark like, and depressing. One of the things that I recommend, and again, as Ian and I say, every time we give any kind of advice that could be construed as teaching, don't ask listen to your it. priest or your spiritual father. Yeah. <laughs> um, I keep a list of the people whose names I know. Or if there's some sort of remarkable event surrounding, surrounding them, it's like, okay, I don't know this person's name, but... God knows the person that I'm referring to. Yeah. Right. Even if I don't have those things written down, but I write the details down if it's, that's what's needed. Well, so I know there's been homeless people who have said, pray for me. And, and I, I get their name and that night I remember their name, but the next night I don't. And I just say, you know, pray for the homeless man that I saw yesterday or pray for all those who are homeless. There's even a, in the Anthologian mm-hmm. that we have, there's a prayer for the homeless. I suggest that people, you know, obviously with the guidance of your spiritual father, but I think that's a great, a great prayer to add to your role when you, when you can remember to. Mm-hmm. Well, and that Anthologian is a good one to have because it has one of the best collections of occasional prayers that I've ever come across, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. So just wanted to touch on the topic of Saturday of Souls and Sunday, Meet Fair Sunday. Sunday of the Last Judgment. Sunday of the Last Judgment. And just remind you guys, you know, hopefully with with Lent coming up, it can be fruitful and beneficial for you spiritually that you can attend all the services possible. Do as much praying and almsgiving as 
as you can. I know it's something that we should be doing all the time, but don't neglect confession. Yeah. But especially now with Lent, it's, it's something that I'm going to try to hold myself accountable to. And, you know, anybody listening, if, if you need somebody to talk to about anything or, you know, if you feel like holding me accountable to, that'd be great. Cause I definitely, I definitely need the help and pray for both of us and pray for those whom we've lost. And, uh, yeah, Nathan, cheers. Cheers, cheers to that. Memory and, eternal. Yeah. Memory eternal. And now 20 minutes into <laughs> past our brief intro that was just going to touch on <laughs> the, on uh, judgment Sunday and Saturday, Saturday of souls. Yeah. Our, our topic today, um, me and Nathan, I think it was yesterday. You were like, what's our topic? And I was very broad. Well, you called me today at like 10 30 or 11 and was like, you know, we'd both been up for a while and you're like, Hey, so we're going to talk about freedom today. And it was like, Okay, I yeah. can talk about freedom, I guess, but I have not I have not read anything remotely related to that topic in a long time. <laughs> well, I think right now we're going through I'm going to I love how like the political pundits always say, well, it's been a really what is what is it that they say something about interesting times. You hear it's been interesting times. Like the times prior weren't. Yeah. <laughs> but right now things are definitely weird. And I think freedom is a great topic and it, it's, it's not necessarily freedom in the sense of being able to do what you want to do. That's when most people hear freedom, you know, most secular people or most people in general think freedom just means that I don't have to answer to anybody for what I do or what I want to do. And that is not always the best case scenario because you can do a lot of things that you could think, you know, resemble freedom, but they're actually entrapping you spiritually and, you know, emotionally. So what do you, what do you think we could, we could, uh, start off with as far as freedom, spiritual freedom, or we could, we could talk about the, you know, Nathan has some notes and I kind of just figured I'll wing it, but what do you think of the freedom convoy in Canada? Hmm. And I know that's a very broad question, but do you, do you think that from your perspective, do you think that they're doing something that we should have done as Americans a long time ago? Because we had the January 6th incident, incident, and that, to me, did not signify any sort of revolution or freedom whatsoever. You know, it was a couple dudes dressed up, stealing Nancy Pelosi's... It was a, it was a liberal pagan, like, walking around dressed like a cross of Thor and Quanta Parker. Yeah. <laughs> which was... It was not I, revolutionary. I, I don't know what to. I, I I'm sure there's some sort of curious symbolism to that Jonathan Paja or Richard Rowland could touch on with regard to that, but I have no bloody idea yeah. what that would be. <laughs> but what do you, what do you think about the freedom convoy? You know, obviously there's a lot of libertarian aspects to it, and there's a lot of people there that are there for the right reasons, and a lot of people there for you know the wrong reasons. What do you what do you what's your take on it? I, from what you've seen or what you understand about it, I, I have mixed feelings on the topic of protest. Um, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than 35 seconds knows, I think democracy is a vile thing. However, that does not mean that I throw protest out with the bathwater because if you know anything about history, the number of times that there has been a government that has been free from protest as far as I know is zero. Yeah. Regardless of the type of government. But 
I, I think that the Freedom Convoy is maybe too little too late because lest we forget the, um, what's his name? Uh, Trudeau? Justin, um, Justin Castro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that Ben Shapiro always says he's not related to Castro. And I know he's joking when he says, Dude, I think I've, he's joking when he says. I, I was talking to my, to our friend Tad the other day. And we have both seen photos where it's like, if, if someone hadn't juxtaposed the photos, I never would have thought to yeah. look, but they did. And I was like, okay, that's, well, that's his, a pretty curious family resemblance. His mom visited Cuba. Well, I mean, all, all that aside, the, the Justin Castro's, yeah. uh, lest we forget, his... You guys can Google the image and... It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty good. Um, lest we forget, his father was an avowed co- supporter of communism, supported the... Um, the Chinese Communist Party in the aftermath of Tiananmen Square, which is a pretty absurd thing that he still was able to show his face in public after doing so. He was the first to enact the Emergency Act in Canada, I believe. Right. His father. And, and as far as I know, Canada has some sort of parliamentary procedure to remove laws like that, but they've had this law in the book for 30 or 40 years, and no one's done away with it. So to me, it seems like it's too little too late. Yeah. The... You know, when when Canadians were being forced to stay in their homes and weren't allowed to walk their dogs or go to church. That's when they should have been protesting. And I say the same is true of us. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not casting stones at Canada saying, oh, yep. you guys should have done this. And, you know, we're so much better than you. We, we did the same bloody thing. I mean, I'm, is anyone who, as Ian knows, I'm not a fan of the Protestant minister, John MacArthur. Um, I think his theology is is not particularly good but i also think that when it comes to discussing orthodoxy he knows nothing but he doesn't know that he knows nothing which is a problem but hats off to john macarthur for telling the governor of california to shove it when he was telling macarthur he could not provide um, church services to whoever came to his door good on him they arrested him right or they i don't know if they arrested him but they they find him several they find his church several hundred thousand dollars and you know, as much as I as much as I dislike the man in many ways, good on him. May may God have mercy on him and the rest of us, and especially and may God bless him for his willingness to actually suffer. The rest of us weren't. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's a little too little, too late. But also, at least at least they're doing it. We it's, it seems like we still haven't, you know taken a stance as, as far as I can see. Well, part of that problem is the, the, the death of religion in Canada is a pretty new thing that didn't happen to like the seventies. So even though they're still a pretty atheistic country, they're far closer to their religious roots than we are. And because they're, they were a formerly Catholic country, their ties to tradition are far deeper. Canada. Yeah, Canada was Catholic for a long time, or at least Quebec was. That the eastern provinces were were Catholic. So we're worse off than they are in many ways, but we also so so th- this is a shift, I suppose. Um, but <clears throat> we were founded on revolutionary principles, and if you've ever read Father Seraphim Rose. Um, you'll be aware that he was not a fan of anything that was built on the idea of revolution, unless it was Christianity. And he would argue that it's not terribly revolutionary 
at least in its not in the way that we think of revolutions now. That's what I meant when <clears throat> I said that the January 6th thing wasn't revolutionary. It didn't change anything. Yeah, it didn't change anything. And I don't mean poli- politically, even spiritually. There was no backing to it. So yeah, continue. So Father Seraphim's not a fan of, of anything revolutionary. And the reason, one of the reasons that we have departed so far from our Christian roots in the U.S. <clears throat> is because we were founded, I think, on a revolutionary structure. And a revolutionary structure cannot necessarily appeal to, to, to tradition. That's why we don't really have traditions in the U.S. We've had a couple of stabs at making new ones, but and this, I think, is one of the great examples of why atheists in the um, uh, I would say that's our tradition, right? Atheism. Well, our, our tradition. Atheist. So, so there's this. Atheism. I think we've I think we've talked about this before with uh, Gobekli Tepe and all this, like the 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 narrative surrounding Gobekli Tepe and all these, um, all these paleolithic or the, all these Neolithic sites, is okay. Well, for whatever reason, people wanted to build a city here, and then they built a city, and they decided they may as well do some religion because you know we've got some we've got agriculture and a couple of buildings. We may as well invent Sky Daddy. We got some rocks stacked up. Let's pray to them. Right. Well, it's not even we, we stack them up so we should pray to them. It's, well, we did these things. I guess we should invent religion now. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not how traditions come into being. You don't invent a tradition out of whole cloth. It has to appeal to something that is accepted as being true. And the fact that America doesn't really have any ironclad traditions is indicative of the fact that that particular sociological assessment of, of uh, the development of culture is wrong. <laughs> that's why when you ask somebody, what does it mean to be an American? They can't answer. Where they say it means to be free. Well, free from what? What are you free from? <clears throat> you spend all day on your phone. Well, you know, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that, but what is what does freedom even mean to an American nowadays? Well, well, to expand on something that Father Stephen DeYoung said at one point um, when he was, he, they were talking about um, consciousness and what it means to be a what it mean what it means to have a thought. And Father Stephen goes, okay, well, here's a, here's an experiment for you guys. Try to think of a thought you have generated within yourself. It's like, I can't do that. You mean an original thought? Yeah, a thought that you constructed knowing you were constructing it. Yeah, I mean, it's... That wasn't initiated by something else. It's, in, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I can't think of an example when I've ever done that. I'm not saying that's any kind of scientific proof of anything, but it's just an interesting thing to consider. Right? The... The idea of freedom that people have now is that they have, I think it means autonomy. Yeah, it's a libertarian view. Mm -hmm. Nobody can tell me what to do. Right. And so this is one of the other things that Father Seraphim notes in, not in the book Nihilism, um, is when you have a monarchy, um, what occurs is you have authority flowing from the top down which in many ways is just natural. We know that to be a natural there's a thing. Na- there's a natural hierarchy. Yeah, well, it's just you, you, you see or you hear that, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's right. However, in a representative government, such as what we have, you know, either a, rep- either a republic or a democracy, although with a republic there's some more nuance to this, um, authority flows from the bottom up. Yeah, it's and weird. And that is unnatural. Yeah. And one of the things the Father Seraphim doesn't say, and that I would assert, so I don't, I don't know if he would agree with this or not is when you engage in something so unnatural 
you cease to look at the figurehead as the cause of your problems and you start to look to your left and look to your right and say, you blame these others. people are causing the yeah. problems. What do you mean, these people? What do you mean, these people? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so it'd be as below, so above. Well, no, it's, it's complete inversion of, of the natural right. hierarchy of things right? People, with, with, no, with no Godhead. And, and preempting a discussion on or a rebuttal that, oh, well, republics don't work that way. Yes, they do. Yeah. Laws in a republic do not come from the top down. They are either, well, they can. But usually it's a bunch but, of... But, but even if they are, it's a group of people deciding what the laws are, enforcing them on other people and saying, okay, now you have the reins. Yeah, it's a bunch of political pundits saying... This sounds good. <clears throat> this will help us make money or this, well, that, and, and the not, other. Not even that. Like I, I look at the American Constitution, and I have, lest anyone accuse me of hating America, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the American Constitution. Unlike some Orthodox people, I think that it's a noble attempt, but because it came from the Enlightenment project. I mean, in many ways, the, the American Revolution is the culmination of the Enlightenment project. It is going to fail. It has to, not because not because empires fail, which is a pretty much a hard and fast rule of history, but because it is coming from a fundamentally godless movement. It has to fail for I mean, that reason. There is a lot of people who live their life based on the Constitution. I think it's a, it's a closer playbook, for lack of better wo- words, than anything we have nowadays. Well, it's a better system of represent... I mean, consider this. We, we talk about Athens as being like the ultimate democracy mm-hmm. right and the problem with that is athens is a democracy only lasted like 110 years and one of the ways that they kind of dealt with the mob mentality that a democracy produces is you could if, if you you know so let's say you, you could you could um it's it's not exile it's uh what's what's the other term deport um no 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 it's 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 exile. There's there's a there's a phrase for it, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But you could get together and say, okay, well, so and so, you know, Ian is being really irritating this year. We're afraid he's going to try to become a tyrant, so we're going to vote him out of Athens for ten years. Yeah, right. And that was a thing that could happen. And the person didn't have to be guilty of the accusation. You just had to convince enough people that he was, and probably the the right people. You right, know. and that could happen. So lest we forget, the history of democracies is not exactly something that we can look at and say, ah, isn't this a lovely thing? <laughs> yeah. How do you think we reestablish, you know, an ideal version of real freedom in America? Well, first we have to talk about what is real freedom. I think it stems spiritually. I think it has to start spiritually. What, That's- do, you, what, do, what do you mean? What, what are you, how, how would you explain that? How, how would you explain this to a five-year-old? To my son? How would you explain it to me? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think that you can't have any sort of freedom until you have freedom in Christ. Which and means? A, I mean, it means a lot of things. It means looking at yourself mm-hmm. first and foremost and, you know... Well, placing yourself in service to God, right? We have to exactly the the only thing we are truly free to choose is our master. Exactly, right? And so we once. So, so here's an interesting thing. If you have you ever read Leviticus? No. 
Okay, you should. I've, it's one I've, of the- I've, you asked me a lot of times, have I read this? And I've read parts. Okay. Yeah. So, Just like I've read parts of Nihilism by Father right. Seraphim Rose. But yes, I, I know. So a lot of people talk a lot of trash about how hard Leviticus is to read. In my opinion, it's one of the easier books to read in the Old Testament. I can sit down and read it in like an hour and a half, if even that long. Like, I think it's really interesting. But one of the things you notice when you parse this, and for anyone who thinks I'm making stuff up, Father Stephen, I, my opinion happens to um, concur with Father Stephen DeYoung's, so take it up with him, not me, because he can justify this position better than I can. But I didn't come up with this from him. So in Leviticus, there's all these laws about how you're supposed to interact with one another. You know, there's the, what they call the purity code in Protestantism, which is the religious aspects of it. But there's also the legit legal code, right? If someone murders someone else, here's what you do. And one of the interesting things is justice in, the, in Leviticus is not you, you murder someone so God's you know, or you, you stole something from someone, so now you owe whoever you're, the clan chief in your area happens to be X number of goods or services. It's Ian steals my car, Ian owes me my car, plus a little bit of change. I'm wanting to say it's plus 20%. Yeah. Or something like that on top of it, because he did me an inconvenience. And, and some he rep- owes me. And some repentance. Right. So he owes me, right, if Ian steals from me. If I kill Ian's dog, or not dog, well, Which, if I if I kill, that's funny you bring that up because you do not like that little. Chihuahua. He's named after a communist. He's named after John Lennon. John Lennon was a communist. <laughs> <laughs> this backfired on me. <laughs> Give peace a chance, Nathan. No. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, if, imagine all the people. Yellow submarine. Okay. Anyway, it's a shame we don't have video going right now because <laughs> that would have been really entertaining for a lot of people. I think. No. So, so if I, so if Ian has, um, uh, let's say I murder Ian. Wow. Right? Well, you did just throw a handful of Beatles songs at me, and that's a pretty egregious thing to say. Get your hand out of your pocket. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> You're not that fast, anyway. Um, if, if I murdered Ian, my life is forfeit, according to Levitical law, because I have taken a life. Well, I may repent of that thing, and I should be given the chance and to he, repent. And he means unjustly. <clears throat> right. You murder me, not right. kill me. Right. Not Ian. Not I'm walking down the street, and Ian jumps me with a lead pipe, and then I happen in the struggle to kill him. It's yeah. I'm walking down the street, and Ian looks at me sideways, and I get pissed off and kill him for yeah. whatever reason. My life is forfeit because I have committed a murder, right? That is what you call restorative justice. And we can see that, I think, more effectively in the whole idea of theft and giving back what was owed, you know, which is one of the reasons why I think prisons are a terrible idea. Because if you know someone steals my bike, I don't want them to go to prison for five years. I want my freaking bike back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, well, we didn't find your bike, but we found the guy who stole it. Well, we'll find my bike, too. Well, have him buy me a bike that's equivalent <laughs> to the one that he stole. You know, that's, that's more or less the outcome. So... All this to say, the... Oh, man, I've kind of lost my train of thought. I forget where I was going with this. Um, before I asked you about Leviticus, what did we say? Or maybe I've got it written in my notes. 
we were we were talking about spiritual freedom. Ah. Okay, so Nate's an old man. He has notes. I've had a number of concussions, so my memory's <laughs> not as good as it used to be. Um, His pupils are still completely dilated. <laughs> that's just how they are. <laughs> okay, and before you lose your train of thought. So. And it's gone. <laughs> some, I, th- I think you're trying to just derail this train for kicks and giggles at this point. <laughs> it's working. Oh, man, you're terrible. And our sponsor today <laughs> is Santan Brewing Company. Uh, let me see if I can. No, but there's there's a lot of different. Nathan is continuously trying to light his Tolkien pipe. It's not a Tolkien pipe. It's a corncob pipe. Tolkien smoke briar. Okay. Ten points to anyone who can translate what I just said. Tolkien smoke briar. That's all they heard. All right, we'll let we'll let Nate enjoy his. What what blend do you have today? It's just that homemade blend that I use. It's um, just a Virginia blend mixed with uh, Shadow Mountain, whatever Shadow Mountain is. I'm not sure. It's a very sweet aromatic that's too strong for me on its own. But when cut with a Virginia, it's very good. It smells like bo, or is that just you? <laughs> okay. Do you remember what you were saying? What you were saying? <clears throat> the idea of freedom in the in light of retributive justice means that we have the right to pursue higher virtues, not to do whatever we'd like. And I have no recollection of how I was going to try to connect those two things. No, it makes sense though. But just because like even with a particular legal code, I can murder Ian. But if I do, <laughs> There are, there's things that are going to have to occur as a result of that, you know, um, you go ahead. That's, that's what, that's why I think having a spiritual basis for what freedom is comes into play. You know, if you think you can just do whatever you want to do because you can do whatever you want to do, well, there's going to be consequences, but do you even care about those consequences or do you care if your soul is damned? Okay. So when I was taking notes, I recollected this quote and very much wanted to see if you knew where it came from. Great. Hints have been dropped throughout the conversations we've had leading up to this. So, uh, where did I write it down? If there is no immortality, all things are lawful. If there is no immortality, all things are, all lawful. Things are lawful. Who said that? Who wrote that? Boba Fett. Who wrote that? No, honestly... You have one of the books on. You have the book that ha- contains that on your shelf. You actually have two copies of the dialogue that contains that. Oh, it's from the brothers, the brothers K, the brothers Karamazov. Yeah. Do you know who says it? In the book. Yes. No. Who says it? Ivan. The the eldest. Uh, yeah. No, not the eldest. Yeah, he, the, no, he's the youngest. Middle, he's the, the middle, middle brother. brother. Yeah. He's the middle brother. If say the quote again. If all things. If there is no immortality, all things are lawful. In this, Dostoevsky is predicting, or not predicting, but addressing Nietzsche before Nietzsche wrote anything. Wow. So what you're saying about there having to be a spiritual basis from whence freedom can flow, that's what this touches on. Yeah. Right? If there is no eternal God, 
then the concept of morality is absurd and freedom means nothing. Yeah. Neither does domination. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to figure out <clears throat> when people are fighting for freedom now, what, what type of freedom are they fighting for? Medical freedom, which, I mean, that's a topic we can get into, you know. Obviously, medical freedom is very important because there's very unjust things that are happening right now with all the stabby mandates. Well, the medical- because people don't realize when, when, you, when you make a decision to have a research chemical injected into you, it's going to affect you spiritually. Everything affects you spiritually. And that's... Well, there's, there's no such thing as something that is merely physical or merely spiritual. Yeah, they're, all, they're connected. That's, that's why, you know, when... You know, there was a time when I was a uh, much newer convert than I currently am. I've been Orthodox for about four years. Um, when I was a brand new convert, I was very frustrated by Protestants who would be like, oh, well, why do you do this? This makes no sense. That's just a physical thing. When you do prostrations or cross yourself, you're just showing off. And it's like, no, you're praying I with, could be. You're praying with your whole being. Right. Well, I could be just showing off, but that's not why we do this. Like when you're in a room full of people and everyone's prostrating, it's really hard to look around. I don't know if you've ever, you know, it's one of the things I should have observed, but when you do a prostration, it's really hard to observe what other people are doing, especially you're, when you do it in an Orthodox setting, because, you know, you, you've been to St. Anthony's before when, you know, yeah. you're up at two in the morning doing like 35 prostrations yeah. with everyone else and you're trying just not to smack your head on other things or touch, you know, other step people? on other people or you know, do prostrations out of order or whatever. You're, you're not looking at other people. You're like, okay, it's time to do the prostrations because these are the prayers that we're praying. Yeah. And that's why these are relevant. You don't care what other people are doing. You're just trying not to hurt yourself and trying not to, <laughs> not to lose your prayer. Not to fall asleep. Right. You know, so it's, there, there's no such thing as this physical versus um, spiritual distinction. It doesn't exist. Well, they affect each other more so, you know. They're, they coincide with each other. If you do something that's going to mess you up physically, it may not mess you up spiritually right away. But even just with this new job I've had, I haven't had the chance to work out as much. And today was my mm-hmm. first time working out. And I, I feel better. Not just well, physically, spiritually, well, I can, felt can better. Consider this. This is why disease can be a gift from God. Yeah, they're connected. Disease can humble you spiritually. And that's part of it. Like uh, I was having a conversation with Nikai earlier today, who's one of my best friends. And it's it's interesting having a conversation, you know, it's interesting talking to him because like, you know, we're talking, it's obviously a physical act, right? But the, um, the, the spiritual, I don't want to say satisfaction, but the, it, it was, it's not the same as just thinking, oh, you know, it'd be good to talk to Nikai when I'm having the conversation with him. It's obviously not as nice as if we were sitting together having a beer or smoking or going to church together. But, you know, there, there was a, a, a kind of uh, noetic, I, I don't even know what a good way to phrase it is. You know, it's just a nice, it's it's nice. It's like, ah. Well, you feel I've, it spiritually. I've missed, I've missed my friend. I'm yeah. getting to commune with my friend. This is nice. Yeah. You know, and it's not just, oh, words were shared and chemicals were triggered in my brain. <laughs> that happened. Well, it's spiritually But that's not all that it was. For, for both of you. <clears throat> right. Presumably. Hopefully I didn't say anything too terribly untoward. <laughs> well, we know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there needs to be a spiritual basis for the freedoms that we're fighting for. If we're just fighting for freedom, well, we're, like you said, well, what are we? We're fighting for nothing, you know, ultimately. Well, if we're just fighting for the right to do a thing and not, if we don't even know what the thing is, 
Yeah. You know, it's, we actually saw that a lot with the uh, protests that were going on in the United States last year. Was it last? No, two years ago already. <laughs> I don't two know. Two summers ago. Or no, summer 2020. Yeah. Whatever it was. Two years. Um, a lot of the people that were there when they were interviewed, it was like, what are you, what are you fighting for? They couldn't give an answer. And I'm not saying that's ubiquitous to them. It's not. Like the, um, the, the freedom convoy they're planning in the U.S., some of the people that are leading that have spoken, yeah, we're doing this because we want to stand in X soli- number of things. And it's like those or, or things. Or to stand in solidarity with their Canadian brothers. Right, but all that's done. Yeah. Like the Canadian thing is done. The things that they've, you know, they, I want to say they said something about uh, vaccine mandates for truckers. And it's like, that's not a thing in the United States. Yeah. It's like, you you have no idea why you're driving your truck to DC, and I'm not saying that there there's not something that they could be pushing for. That would be good, but they don't. As it stands, from what I've heard, they've got nothing. Yeah, the CDC just announced. Did you see that today or yesterday that healthy people can remove their masks? Right. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's like pick something to fight for. But it's it seems. To come at a weird so, time because so, we have so this can, war going on. Now all of a sudden the CDC is like, oh, you can take your masks off now, but just make sure that you're paying all this attention to the war. Well, it's it's, it's what always happens. I mean, you know, I, I, I am reticent to speak on the topic of uh, Russia and Ukraine at the moment because... There's still a lot of things unfolding. Well, feelings are... Tensions are running high. Emotions are hot. And... I mean, I've, I've seen arguments on both sides, and I understand the arguments on both sides. Our job as Orthodox Christians is to pray for both. But the the sad part is, you know, like, like Ian said, you know, there's so much vitriol. that I, I don't know if you saw the tweet that Franklin Graham put out a while back. No. He said something to the effect of his last week. I think it was last week. He said, uh, you know, I, I want people to pray for President Vladimir Putin. We don't want... X and Y thing, X, Y, and Z things to happen. And a lot of people lost their bloody minds and were like, oh, he's supporting Putin. And it was like, no, he's not. Like, far from it. He's praying for someone that he thinks is bad. Yeah. That he wants to help. He didn't him. say hashtag go Putin. Right. Well, he was praying that Putin would be kept from going to war, that his mind and his heart would change. And think whatever you want about Putin one way or the other. I'm going to keep my own feelings on the, on the matter private. Um, very few people actually know what they are. But the the ignorance of Christianity that people could say that was insane. Yeah. And I wanted to be angry, and then I realized, like, well, one, that anger will achieve nothing. Two, it's one of the passions that I really need to be fighting against, so I probably ought not, <laughs> you know, indulge it. And three, these people probably don't know anything about Christianity anyway, not in the sense that they've been exposed and forgotten, but they don't know. Yeah. A lot of Americans, the, the, supposedly there's a... They don't know that we pray for our for our enemies well, or for those who we don't agree with. Apparently there's a... And this, this can be best exemplified in uh, um, Jonathan Pajot's interview with Michaela Peterson. There are apparently a lot of young people out there who don't know what the Reformation was about and don't know the difference between Roman Catholics and Protestants. Yeah, she asked him. What is the Reformation? Yeah. And I mean, I was... Basically, it's it's the church you're going to right now. (laughs) Well, when I heard that, I was shocked because that's what I do. That's what I study is medieval history, right? So when people talk about like, oh, let's talk about the Reformation. I can talk about the Reformation all bloody day. 
right? That's what I eat, sleep, and breathe. And eat, breathe, and sleep. I don't know, whatever. However, that You don't do out. very many of those things, I, so... <laughs> you rarely eat and you sleep on the floor, so <laughs> you kind of breathe, and when you do, it sounds really bad. That's because <laughs> I've broken my nose twice. It's hard to, hard to pull air through a, a busted nose. But... You know, the, the, she's not atypical in, in this sense. Like, there are a lot of people who don't know that. So if people don't know the diff- that, that Martin Luther was hacked off at the Pope over indulgences and a number of other papal abuses, how on earth can they be expected to know the nuances of our theology relating to people that we consider to be our enemies? Well, also, if you were to say Martin Luther <clears throat> to anybody... King they Jr.? Would, they, exactly. <laughs> they would have no idea that you're talking about a different Martin Luther. But yeah, I think... But it's... It's crazy. And this... One of the things... And we, we kind of touched on this when we discussed Solzhenitsyn a couple of months ago. I guess it's been like two months ago now. Probably. Um, Americans now, and a lot of Westerners in general, speak of freedom as the right to do X, Y, and Z. No one ever talks about their responsibilities. Um, as... You know, Ian was mocking me earlier for doing prep for this episode because I'm super neurotic and that's what I do. Um, but I, I... Well, we think about rights versus responsibilities. Right. Well, well, I went back and briefly scanned George Washington's first inaugural address. And the really interesting thing about that, it's only like four pages. Pretty short. And one of the interesting things that occurs that occurs in that speech is... George Washington spends a decent amount of it, and by that I mean like the first page and a half, kind of... Wallowing in the fact that he has to become president? Yeah, kind of complaining. He's like, you know, I've already done so much service for this country in her time of need, and when you guys called me, I was kind of, you know, I was pretty happy being able to retire and do the thing that I, you know, live on my farm and do the things that I wanted to do, but because my country needs me... I will respond and I will serve my country's needs because you guys requested of me. I will give my service, right? And that's the the first the first handful of presidents we had. That was their idea: was I will serve. You know, um, not to not to delve too much into modern pop culture, but one of the few pop culture um, franchises that I really like is John Wick. It's fantastic. Oh, it's great, and. George Washington shows up, so for anyone who's ever seen John Wick 3, I have served, I will serve. Yeah, it's a great quote. Fantastic quote. And that's effectively what George Washington says. And then he says, but also, here are the responsibilities you have. We're a new country, this is a new constitution, this is a new government. You guys need to do some things to make sure this works. Yeah, and and presidents nowadays, like like I was telling you earlier, they just want to be the you know, the main star on the new sitcom, which is a, which is basically cr- what which we're is living very in. crass, but it's not incorrect by any metric. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that are very angry with our current president and yeah. I'm very displeased with what he's done. But whenever I hear him speak, I feel a lot of pity for him. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you wanted this, you've wanted this so bad for so many years that, you finally got here, and when you got here, you don't even know what you're doing. It's the complete complete opposite of George Washington. Yeah, and also that's why if if you guys are if you are Orthodox or if you're not at the Divine Liturgy and even in Vespers, we we pray for the president 
One, we pray for all those. Our, our leaders, regardless, deserve our prayers. One, because... But that kind of goes back to were, what you were saying about the tweet. If people... If I had posted maybe something like, uh, pray for Joe Biden on Twitter, do you know how many people would either completely love it or completely hate it? There wouldn't be this neutral understanding that, yes, we need to pray for him. Right. Because I mean, we don't even, live in a Christian society. Well, even within the Orthodox community, and like I've said many times, and for those of you who are a part of this because you're listening to this on the internet, I'm sorry for being insulting, but the but internet Orthodoxy is very far from Christian. Yeah. There's... So, so I got in a, in a bit of a tiff with a with a priest a couple of weeks ago on uh, on the the wonderful social media site known as Facebook, um, which I shouldn't have done. But you know, I'm kind of an argumentative person when I get riled up, and I shouldn't have argued, but I did. And I haven't I, heard this story. Well, I'm not going to tell too much detail because it wasn't a nice like it, I, I, sh- I escalated things in a way that I shouldn't have, and like I didn't say anything really mean, but I yeah. was also engaging with a priest in a way that I never would face to face. It's like, uh, that wasn't good. And I was also talking to other people in a way that that's I what happens on the internet. And it's like, and then I looked further on and other people were doing the same thing. And it suddenly struck me and I'm like seven or eight comments in on this back and forth comments. In, and I'm like, Ooh, forgive me. I need to be done. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, I am so sorry that I said any of the things that I said. And it's like, it's not even, you know, there, there were things that I said that were incorrect and that were shown to me to be incorrect. So I was like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, I've that that happens. You get in an argument, but it's about you lose. the fact that you fell into that that trap. But I fell into that and ran with it for a while. Yeah. It was like, oh no, like I threw some gasoline on this fire. I shouldn't have done that. And that's how a lot of internet orthodoxy is. And I really, really dislike that. Yeah. I mean, I've often complained about the uh, orthodoxy subreddit. You know, it's. Not I've been very, there's... I've been very lucky to not get on that. I went straight to Instagram as a <laughs> as a as a creative outlet, and not to say it's any better, but I think there's less of the ortho quote unquote ortho bros mm-hmm. on there. The community I've I've found there on there, it's because I've had to, I've had to like, um, I'm not trying, to, I don't know the right word, not narrate it, but I've had to make, curate it. I've had to curate my own community on there, and there's people I haven't gotten along with in the past that you know now now we talk, but. There's definitely a toxic element to social media, and I think that kind of has a lot to do with our freedom as well. You know, like right. you like you said, our responsibilities are to be civil and Christ-like to one another, not well, win an argument with one exactly. another. Exactly, like you said, you realized pretty pretty quickly, like, okay, hold on. Well, not I can't quickly just, enough. <laughs> I can't just say whatever I want to say because it's over a computer. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, these are things that you might not have said in person, but that's the way that we we ought to view it. Is would I say these things in person? Probably not. You know. So yeah, I'm glad that you you brought that up. I'd like to know more later. But <clears throat> another it was another concerning Lord of the Rings. That's one of the few things that I'll get. Yeah. You what mate about, and I shouldn't, but I yeah. do sometimes. Well, what what other topics of, of freedom do you think can kind of help us get back to a more Christian understanding of the word? Spiritual freedom, obviously, is, is very important. What about f- uh, freedom of pa- from passions? You know, whether that be heterosexual, homosexual passions, you know, those things become obsessive, and we end up obsessing over these passions, and we become... You know, we lose we lose our freedom when when we're tied down to our passions. With Lent coming up, I think it's a great opportunity for us to. I, I've decided to. I'm. I tried to not drink beer during 
think it was the nativity or the nativity was the last nativity. fast. And I tried to not drink beer and I think I did good for six or seven days, but pray for me. I don't want to have any beer this whole time. I want to have wine when I'm allowed it mm-hmm. and I want to work out more and I want to pray more. And I think that's something because I'm, I realize how tied down I am to some of those things. And I, I am, I'm not as free as I'd like to be spiritually or, or, or physically. Right. The, so great Lent is for repentance. I mean, life is for repentance, but great Lent is a time when we should focus, especially on repentance. I mean, I don't want to hammer this too hard, but we really ought to be, I I know it's rough going to confession. Like it's one of those things that every time I'm, I'm going, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be different. You know, my father, my spiritual father is going to be really upset this time. It's like, that's never the case. Um, he's often disappointed. Yeah. I was going to say he's he's never upset. Sometimes that can be worse. You know, I I always freak myself out. I'm like, Oh no, it's going to be like this time. It's going to be different. It's like, dude, you're still confessing the same sins because you haven't mastered any of them. Yeah. I think we mentioned that before briefly, you know, when you, you said, Oh, I'm, I'm repenting. He's like, you're still doing the same thing. You're not so repenting. You're not. <laughs> yeah. um, Lent, Lent is a time when we really ought to be doing confession often. Um, like said earlier, if, run if this you have by the your chan- spiritual father yeah. and your priest. And if you have the chance to. But it, it's it's a thing that we ought to do. And I know with in, in the um, post-Wubonic plague world, um, it's, it's harder to do sometimes. But there seem to have been concessions made where phone confession is a thing. Um, to an extent, if you have to do it, um, you know, do what you've got to do. But we really should be focusing on that. And, you know, if we don't, I'm wanting to say it was St. John Chrysostom who said something to the effect of, if you fast from food, but don't fast from the passions, you may as well have eaten. You may as well have eaten yeah. that steak. And a great example of this comes from the life of St. John Maximovich. So when he was in Shanghai, he had a uh, you know altar server, you know, a young young man who was I want to say he was like twelve or thirteen years old, who was very inspired to asceticism by um, Father by Saint John. And so, you know, when Lent rolls around, he's fasting super, super hard, or he's trying to fast super hard. And this gets to the point where his parents are like, hey, come have dinner, and he's refusing, and it's really causing his parents some consternation. So they eventually figure out why. He's like, oh, he's trying to be like St. John. He's trying to be like, you know, uh, Bishop John. And so they take this boy to, uh, they take their son to um, St. John and say, hey, here's what's going on. Um, can you please talk to him? And St. John sits there for a minute and goes, okay, I've got, I've got something. So he sends his deacon, he goes, go to the market and buy a sausage, buy a pork sausage. So they, you know, and this is like the middle of Lent, right? So the deacon goes, buys a sausage, brings it back. And Vladika John gives the sausage to this, you know, this altar server. And he goes, eat the sausage. And he goes, you know, he breaks down weeping. He goes, no, but, you know, Vladika, it's the middle of Lent. Like, I can't eat meat. And he goes, it's more important that you obey your parents. It's like, God told you to honor your father and mother, not to fast like an ascetic. Yeah. They invited you over for dinner. Well, no, they didn't invite him. It was, it was their... He was like 10 or 12. Oh. Like, it's like, you're supposed to honor your parents. Yeah. What they're asking you to do is not a sin. They're not asking you to eat meat. They're asking you to eat dinner with them. Oh, it wasn't Bloody even, eat your dinner. It wasn't even yeah. meat. It he was just He just eat. didn't want to eat it. Yeah, he wanted to fast. It's like, honor your parents. Crazy. Yeah, I, th- I think <clears throat> going back to 
kind of the topic of freedom from from passions and sin, I think one of the most fundamental aspects of the church and their understanding of freedom is the freedom from sin and, you know, its wage or consequences. Mm-hmm. I think that's something people don't understand is how how tied down we are. Well, we don't, you and I have talked about this before. One of the greatest scourges that modern man faces is his ignorance of himself and his belief that he actually knows something about himself. And, you know, I, as I've said before, I don't say this casting stones at other people. I am very bad at knowing myself and I know that I'm bad at it and I don't try to resolve it. What's the saying? All that I know is that I know nothing. Yeah. From Socrates. Yeah. But the, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but we have to spend time in reflection. We have to compare our, we, we have to read the lives of the saints. We have to read the scriptures. We have to spend time in prayer. You know, we, we're, we're far too fond of consuming media produced by people who hate everything for which we stand. And yet when it's, you know, if, if you've ever used the, um, the Pilgrim Continues His Way, which is the, the follow-up text to The Way of the Pilgrim. There's a little confession guide in there. And I use it sometimes, and it's really, really rough, because one of the things that they say is, you know, I, I have no love for God. Here's, here's an example. I can spend all day reading and gossiping about politics, and if... I try to spend two minutes reading a spiritual book or two minutes in prayer or two minutes in the scriptures. It is the heaviest burden and the hardest thing for me to do. And that's true of me, man. Yeah. I mean, we've spent an hour talking. It's a good example. It's not, you know, we're not, we're not wasting time, but how often do we spend an hour with our head heads deep in a prayer book? Dude, I've, you, you, you've commented before on the, the fact that I'm something of a bibliophile in the technical sense and also in the um, semantic sense, right? Like the other day I was doing something and I was like, okay, well, you know, I've done my, my morning prayers. Um, I'm going to work out real fast and do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to move on to these other things. And there's a little voice in my head that's like, well, you, you haven't read the Bible yet. You ought to crack the Bible. And I was started like making up this litany of excuses like, well, I don't have time. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do the other thing. And then the voice, like, you know, I go through this list and, you know, that my guardian angel or the Holy Spirit or my conscience or whatever the heck it was, you know, let me ramble on in my head for a little bit and then goes, you have something that, or there's like, you have more Bibles than the vast majority of villages have had throughout the history of Christendom open one <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> it was bad I mean it was only like I only read for like four or five minutes it's like I have like 15 or 20 Bibles like I don't read them hardly ever I try sometimes but I don't read them near as much as I should well it's a good good challenge for this this Lent there's a lot of a lot of challenges for this. I'm time. not sure what the plan is as far as the podcast for it. Maybe we'll we'll try to pick some some topics that are a little bit more Lenten. Yeah, you know. That's. Uh... But <clears throat> I'm I'm reading this this article and it says it is in Christ as perfect man that man comes to the full realization of what it is what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. 
for man's freedom is an icon, an image of the divine freedom itself. It is when our freedom lies within the opus, opus, de, Dei. opus Dei, the work of God, that it does not cease to be true freedom. The let it be to me according to thy word of the virgin at the Annunciation does not come from a single submission to his will, but that very acceptance expresses the ultimate freedom of her being. In this sense, she was the first fruits of the intervention of God into human time and history, the first product of the Incarnation. She is the image of the Church, those who receive the Word of God and keep it, of those who would lose their life and gain it. Christ, in becoming incarnate, has permitted us not to imitate, but to relive His life, to conform ourselves to His essence. So they're saying, you know, the true image of freedom is to be more Christ-like. Right. Well, it's one of the hardest things for Christians to realize, at least as far as I can tell, um, in, in, in America specifically, is that we only really have two choices. We can choose to be a foot soldier in the army of Satan or a foot soldier in the army of Christ. And... If we're a foot soldier in the army of, of Satan, his demons are forcing us into crazier and crazier things with whips and torment. And if we're a foot soldier in the army of Christ, the saints and the angels and Christ himself and his most holy mother say to us, do you see those poor souls over there? Save them from the, from the creatures that are torturing them. Yeah. And... You know, one um, as Ian can tell you, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, particular kinds of stories, and one of one of my favorite film series um, is Band of Brothers. Back when HBO was doing something useful and not uh, not printing um, fantasy porn or not putting out fantasy pornography, and Band of Brothers is a phenomenal story because it shows in many ways the um, the, the ways in which we which men in war sacrifice for one another and it really humanizes war in a really interesting way um, that I've always found very profound I mean I've been watching that show a couple of, you know once or twice a year for 20 some odd years now um, and it's that, that's what the lives of the saints are to be to us as well you know the, these these calls to action the Christ Christ died for you. He resurrected that death might not have control anymore. I've got nothing to fear. I can walk out into that battlefield, that spiritual battlefield that we face. And, uh, you know, however things turn out, as long as I cling to the cross... God's mercy and God's God will have mercy and God's will will be done. Yeah. Let it be to me according to thy will. That's a bloody hard thing to say, man. You know, and Nikai pointed out one time that the um, in, in one of the gospels Christ says uh true love is true love is nothing greater than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this was like a, a really crazy moment for all of us in the process of becoming Orthodox because this was either right before or right after we got baptized. I don't remember precisely the time, what the timeline was. But it just clicked for Nikai, and then he shared it with all of us, and we're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. He goes, 
of course we know that the martyrs are in heaven because they laid down their lives for Christ. Thus Christ calls them his, calls them his friends. And yeah. it's like, they sit at the right hand of the father. And it's like, that was the most bloody obvious thing. I was Protestant for how many years? And that never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, freedom comes from an expression of one's own free will as well as something that we need to remember. We have the choice as to what type of freedom we want to have. Well, freedom comes when we return to our true state, which is seeking God. Like, yeah. lest we forget. Not to imitate, very, but to relive his our, life. Our very natures are broken, so we can't be free in sin because sin is a pathology that has destroyed our lives. Like, you know, you, what is it? The, they call it the zombie fungus or whatever that takes control of our ants. You, you've seen this, right? Mm-mm. It's like a, it, it's a, it's a weird uh, fungus that when an, when an ant is infected with it, like this thing will control what the ant does and, and direct it to a particular place to die so it can become the host for a new fungus colon, a fungal colony. It's actually pretty interesting. That's what sin is. Yeah. Like the only thing... It contaminates that, everything around it. The only thing that can happen to you when you're corrupted with sin is that you will, you will be driven to despair and to die. You can't help but do that. Thus it's not like, thus to sin is not freedom. No. <laughs> it's... Suicide, slow or quick. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah. What is it? Uh, Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who lives. But Christ who lives within yeah, me. Yeah, but Christ who lives in me. And that's something that it's definitely hard hard to remember, especially just throughout the day when, when things arise and certain situations are, are brought <clears> upon <throat> us, whether it be in your work environment or in your home life. You know, and that's another, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like broken record, but that's why I think this Lent season for me is going to be very important. It's going to remind me that it's, it's not me who lives, but it's Christ who mm-hmm. lives in me, especially as we partake in the divine liturgy and, and the Eucharist. It's something to remind ourselves of. And, and that's one of the reasons why sins or why uh, repentance is so important because it keeps us, it, it, it helps us fight sin. That's our greatest weapon against sin. Yeah. The, I'm, I'm, the, I demon, think the demons flee when we repent. Right. They know they've lost that battle. When, they don't. When, they don't stop coming. But one of the books I'm reading is called um, Kristen Lovren's Daughter. It was written in the 20s by a. I want to say she was Norwegian, by a Norwegian Catholic named Sigrid Unset. Phenomenal book. When 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 I first started reading it, I heard somebody say, "Oh, it's the greatest Catholic novel that's ever been written," and I was like, "Ah." That's a pretty pretty crazy claim. We'll we'll see. And I'm still not willing to give it that epithet but it's close. just yet, but it's really, really good. And it it parses the way sin destroys your life so well. <laughs> it's like this this girl Kristen that it follows, like follows her from when she's a little kid up to the point when she dies. And it's like the the greatest sin in her life starts because she hides a little something from her father and it just builds and And it builds into something that destroys her family it's crazy it's a phenomenal novel it's worth a read like it's really really good but that's that's why we've got to repent like uh we have the freedom to choose to right Well, well i'm reading it for a class right and one of the discussions that we had you know we're talking about okay well you know is Kristen culpable in this or this or this and at one point we were talking and we're like we kind of came to the conclusion we're like well no the problem is she goes like you know she's done these things she's given she she goes to see this this monastic who's kind of her spiritual father and 
she goes, you know, I want to confess to you. And he goes, I can't do confession. He's like, you know, I've been told by my bishop that I'm not allowed to, to do confession with people. And she goes, okay. And he goes, but I'll treat whatever you tell me like it's under confession, but I will not absolve you. He's like, I can't do that. So someone for her to talk with. Right. He, he takes on the role of a counselor. And so she tells him all these things that he's doing. And he's like, like you read the novel and you can like, I'm seeing father Earl's face in my head. Like when I'm confessing to father Earl, like he's just like, what on earth are you doing? Why are you like, you've got to go confess. And she goes, well, no, I can't. And he goes, who's your father confessor? And she goes, Oh, it's so-and-so. And he goes, you need to go confess to him. She goes, well, no, if I do that, then this and this and this is going to happen. And he doesn't push her like to his credit, doesn't push her. He goes, okay. He goes, you really should, but things aren't going to go well if you don't like, I'll pray for you and I hope to God that he has mercy on you. But she, like, because you've been unfaithful in this one thing, you can't expect things to get better down the road. And it's like, that is the story of every sin that we commit that we yeah. don't confess, right? Oh yeah. Like, and even the ones that we do confess, it's like. <laughs> We're the ones that will, we think, oh, I'll confess it next time. Things yeah. get way worse before the next time you confess. Well, and even if they don't, it's like, Yeah. It's it, it's crazy. You're letting that's, the demons win. That that's what sin does. Like sin only goes one place. Yeah. That's not freedom. If if you like sin is like a train, right? And it's going 700 miles an hour towards a brick wall. <laughs> and for whatever reason, there are places where you can jump off and you won't be killed. You might get hurt, but you won't be killed. The only thing that will kill you is running into that brick wall. The longer you stay on that train, the more you tell yourself that you're not, that brick wall is not actually going to kill you. The closer you get to death, right? That's not freedom. Yeah. That's not freedom at all. No. Well, I think that's a, a good way to end this is to, to remind people that, you know, you, you do have the choice. You've been blessed by God to have, to have free will and whether or not you choose that to do good or bad. You know, that's, that's on you and, but it, it's a good chance this season to, to repent and to confess and to, um, help lift up your brothers and sisters and pray for those that we've lost. It's, it's a beautiful season. It's, it's a different type of feeling than anything I'm ever, I'm used mm-hmm. to. You Wait know. till your first Pasca, dude. I know. The, I, I, the, the, the hymn that I included in the, the last, the latest article I wrote for you, wrote for you is uh i mean there's a joke in orthodoxy right like what's your favorite hymn it's like well the paschal hymns like okay that that's that's a given of course the paschal hymns are your favorite hymns but which ones are your real favorite hymns oh glad some light i actually like that's uh, the oldest hymn in the church i believe sixth century so. uh i i i i don't know the provenance of yeah. many of the hymns but for me I, I like the hymns that we sing um during the during memorial services like that's my favorite hymn outside of the lenten hymns but the one that i wrote in there for you where it's the the theotokos witnessing christ go to golgotha and she's like oh where are you going is it to cana to another wedding to turn more water into wine it's like i remember the first time i heard that and i just like, broke down with sobbing in the church it's like oh my gosh <laughs> like no he's not yeah but that's like that's the point of it right <laughs> yeah that's that's what we do yeah. Well, any uh, final words or 
Anything that we can touch on? I think we've, you've allowed my, you've abused my willingness to speak. (laughs) No, it's, it's been great. I think, I think that's kind of where my head was for this one is I had some ideas that I wanted to talk about and I knew that you'd be good at talking about them. So all the crazy part is like when I'm not hanging out with you or like Joseph, I don't talk. Yeah, (laughs) I really don't. But freedom, it's a, it's a loaded word, you know, and I don't think that we're fighting for the right freedom nowadays as a society where we want the, we want the freedom to be whatever gender we want to be, whatever. We want the freedom to live life free of consequences. Exactly. And that's, that is like you said, that is just. That is, sin is not freedom, and that's ultimately what that type of lifestyle leads to. I can sleep with who I want to be with, I can I can do this, I can do that, and there will be no consequences because there is no God, and that is going to be a very, very sad day for, for those who, who think that, and you know, I've, I've been that person before, and I think it's important for us to pray for the non-Christians as well, That's because we do hold a truth as Orthodox Christians. And it's not a, it's not a truth that makes us, well, the truth, as I've said before, is, is not a what it's a who, you know? Right. And I think that's more important is, you know, it's not like it's something we can hold over their head. Like, Oh, well we know the truth and you don't. If you do that, you will quickly find yourself, you know, the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee was last week, two weeks ago. Prodigal prodigal was last. Okay. Yeah. Two weeks ago. If you find yourself mocking other people because they don't have the truth of the gospel and they don't find themselves within the church, you will quickly find yourself outside of both. Yeah. And, well, you won't find yourself outside the gospel. You'll find yourself inside the gospel, but you won't like who you are. (laughs) Like, that's... Don't don't do that. The... You know, we talked about freedom, and as Ian's been saying, and one of the things that we need to be praying for, for you know, if you're an American or um, if you're in Europe or Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else in the world, you need to pray that your nation repents because, you know, I think last time we recorded... We're seeing Ian, the consequences of people not repenting. Ian made a comment last time about, um, you know, the final judgment drawing pretty near, and... The reason that it comes near, the reason that it comes near, the reason the doomsday clock, to pull a secular reference, ticks closer to midnight, is because we forget to repent. We don't see the humanity in the people who to whom we are opposed. We think the Russians are all still godless Bolsheviks, and we don't understand what they've what they've gone through as a nation. Well, what they're trying to rebuild. I'm, I'm speaking even beyond Russia right now. But yeah. you know, we, we look at our enemies as though they're very one-dimensional. And it's like, you know... We need to see ourselves in them. You can... It's not even that we can see... Our, we need to see ourselves. We need to see, as C.S. Lewis said, the image of God in them. Yeah. And sometimes, God have mercy on us. Circumstances come about where it's necessary that we have to take one another's lives. And, you know, that's a terrible, terrible thing. And in doing so, we should not, 
rejoice. The we we, we shouldn't rejoice. Yeah, one of the things that um, our spiritual father has said to me before. And it's something that I try to remind myself of when I'm at work or at the grocery store and I get that, that tingle of pride when I see something I don't agree with. And I ask God to let me see them how you see them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> let me hear them how you hear them. And that's, it's been such a blessing. I never thought of it that way because it's, it's an easy thing to think of. But, I mean, with guidance from your spiritual father and your priest, I, I think it's something good to put into action. When you see something you don't like or someone you don't like, you just say, you know, Lord, have mercy on, on them. Forgive me a sinner and let me see them with your eyes. If I may be spared a brief digression. The, so, so I'm reading through Thomas Mallory's um, The Death of Arthur right now. And I've read a lot of disparate Arthurian myths, but I've never I've never actually read Mallory before, and I'm just about done with it. I'm in the middle of the Grail quest. There's a really interesting passage in there when Galahad finally shows up and is everyone who's read Arthur knows Galahad is the best knight who has ever lived. Not only is he the most skilled in arms, he is the most virtuous, the most pure. He doesn't kill anyone if he can get away with not killing anyone. And at one point, he, you know, in, in the the Grail quest, he shows up to the he he goes to the castle of the seven maidens, which is, um, there there are seven knights who live there who are, really really bad knights. Any time they find a knight, they kill him, and every time they see a woman, they rape her. And Galahad shows up, whoops all seven of them by himself, <laughs> like they come out and challenge him, like oh we're gonna kill you, and he goes okay yeah you can try. And, you know, he doesn't kill them, but he beats them up pretty good. And goes into the castle, takes possession of the castle, and um, the, the virtue of the land is restored. And then Sir Gowan shows up with, and I forget who he's with. Um, I'm wanting to say it's Sir Percival, and uh, maybe it's Sir Lancelot. I forget. But it's, it's Sir Percival and um, Sir Gowan um, for sure. And they come across these seven knights and kill all seven of them. <laughs> and this hermit shows up and says, why did you kill them? And he lists the litany of their sins and they're pretty grave. And he's like, yeah, they were bad men, but you should have taken the example of Sir Galahad. You shouldn't have killed them. They had all these sins, but you killed them. But you killed them. You shouldn't have done that. And then he looks like the funny thing is like, you know, Percival kills him and Percival is also one of the most virtuous knights. Like he's not going out of his way to be terrible, but he's not as good as as, uh, Galahad. But the the hermit looks at Gawain and says, yeah, you're a terrible knight. You have done so many awful things and you are not a virtuous man. And that's like, we need to try to be galahad or percival in that story like percival kills them but he is still a virtuous man he's not bloodthirsty like they show up and they these seven knights show up and say they're out for blood so percival's like okay well you started this so i'm gonna i'm gonna finish it you know but most of us in all honesty find ourselves is 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 sir gowan you know we're we're like oh these seven guys aren't very savory characters i'm going to kill them and it's like well you if you don't have to don't yeah you know we we just teach them a lesson well, we need to we need to view our enemies with mercy, and that's a really bloody hard thing to do. But we need to do it. Like being there's a reason why Galahad is the only perfect knight, because 
no one else can achieve it. Like, it's important for us to remember to be merciful. Yeah, and it's if you don't show mercy, and this this is something that we see in the Gospels a lot, and it's one of the things that really scares me, um, because I am, as you know, not a merciful man. But you know, if you don't show mercy, you can't. You have don't really have a right to ask God to show mercy to you. Yeah, and that's a that's a really really frightening passage. Yeah, well, I think it's been a great episode. And if you guys have any ideas on um, topics for Lent, um, shoot them our way. I have a few interviews coming up. Um, Nathan might join me on some of them. I'm interviewing Orthodox Outcast. And then there's a few I'm really excited for. One of them is with Father John Valdez. He is, if you have heard of Death to the World, that is uh, who we can thank for it, where I believe at least, I'm not exactly sure on the background. I think he's the one who uh, like revivified it, you know, because it started in the 80s. And I, I'm, I'm almost positive there's like a short documentary called Punks to Monks. And I think he was in the punk scene and there was a Death to the World booth at a punk show. He picked up the magazine and I, be- I believe he, you know, he got the blessing to continue it. I'm not exactly, exactly sure. He, it's going to be a great interview. And then I have a few more coming up. Some that I can't announce yet because I don't have dates for, but they're going to be great episodes. Nathan is definitely going to join me on those, whether or not he wants to, because he's better at talking. I'm, are they I'm, people I have a significant intellectual crush on? Yes, they are. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I with when me and Nathan do these podcasts, I tend to talk a little less because I really value Nathan's opinion on things and it it just gives me a chance to think about things, which is what I'm doing a lot of the time. So I hope you guys in, enjoy them and understand that when it's just me, I may talk a bit more, but I, I really do enjoy Nathan's company and and talking to him about these things. So if you guys have any ideas um, Nathan is currently logged out of the Road to Paradise Instagram. I'm not sure what's going on. We've I've changed the password, so that page is a bit inactive at the moment. This week, for sure, I'm going to get that fixed. Probably tomorrow, I'll spend some time doing it. I'm not sure how active either of us will be during Lent with this, but maybe once a week we can at least do something. I think that's that's the goal. We'll, we'll try to post um, podcasts once or twice every I'd say we'll shoot for once every two weeks at least if not more during Lent um, for sure I'll try to do I'll try to do a live stream once a week but I'm, I'm not gonna lie guys those I have a really hard time with those like we can't tell <laughs> com, coming up with something to <laughs> to ramble on about is is quite difficult oh. and so you know there, there's times I'll, I'll sit there and I'll go okay well I should talk about this and I'll write it down and then I'll look at it for a minute and go, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm going to get like 45 seconds worth of commentary out of that and it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's hard to do those, but I'll try to do one a week. I know how you feel. I still get nervous doing these things, but it gives us a chance to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that's the only way we can truly grow. And I also enjoy learning with with you guys. So I'm not, I'm not here to preach or to be a theologian. You know, like we've said many times, get get guidance from your spiritual fathers and your priests, but it gives us the opportunity to talk about things and have a candid conversation with each other and with you guys. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, anything else, Nathan? 
know if you have any anything you'd like to hear us talk about, send us a message. Um, you know, you can send one to Ian on the Orthodox Logos or me on the Road to Paradise podcast, and it will be received eventually. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're down to talk about pretty much anything. If you have any medieval topics you'd like us to discuss, definitely let us know. Um, like I said, it, in one of the last recordings, Ian and I are going to do um, Sir Orfeo at some point in the near future. Uh, maybe we'll do that. Yeah, I Lent. still... I started reading um, Percival. Did you like it? I haven't finished it yet. Percival's good. But it's not very long. I think it's like... F- it's like 40 pages. The translation you've got. Yeah, the, so we'll do some stuff on that. Yeah, Percival's good. Um, Sir Orfeo's good. Havelock the Dane is fantastic. And since you're interested in that atrocious show, Vikings, maybe we can do Havelock. Yeah, there's a new Viking series out on Netflix. I'm not promoting it, but it's good. So I, uh, I had also, a stroke. Also, I've been thinking that there might be an opportunity to have a Patreon account to where we could talk about things a little bit... You know, what we should try to do is uh, have a couple of, since you're very much into music, we should try to do a couple of interviews with Orthodox musicians. Yeah. If, well, if such things exist. Definitely. Or if such things, but such people I, exist. I definitely think there's a few. I think you know an Orthodox musician. I know of a couple of Orthodox um, musicians. But I think a Patreon account might be a good idea. So if you guys are interested in that so that we can talk about some things that would potentially get us banned from Spotify, you know, go a little bit deeper into some of the political stuff or, you know, the stabby type situations. I think a Patreon might be a good idea so that we can have a bit more freedom, which is, you know. Well, locals might be better for us then instead of Patreon. Cool. Well, we'll we'll figure something out and yeah, make sure to like and subscribe and share this with your friends. We hope you have a, a blessed meat fair. Cheese fair? Meat, well, cheese fair is next week. So. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoy looking. your dairy. I, I can't speak for anyone else, but meat's easy to abstain from. Dairy. Yeah, dairy's the hardest. I mean, you know, three weeks into Lent, and I'm sitting there going, man, if somebody walks down the street with a roll of cheese, they might not make it to the <laughs> end of the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. God bless you guys. Uh, may God be with you. God bless. Cheers. Cheers, and we will see you guys on the next episode.